to start our morning, isn't it? Well, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas, but I understand that it could have been a great time of celebration for you, or it could have been one of the hardest weeks that you've faced all year. And I just want to let you know that God was with you in all of it. He was celebrating with you in the joy, and he was hurting with you in the pain. And um, I'm just glad that you're here today and you're, you're worshiping. We can worship together. And I just love how Um, As we continue in worship, I just want to remind you of some words that Jesus Christ himself said. And he said, come to me, you weary and those who carry heavy burdens. Um, I will give you rest. And it's so awesome to know that God 
is willing, that Jesus is willing to carry what we have. And uh, he's willing to take that on himself. And he doesn't expect us to carry those burdens alone, does he? And so I just encourage you as we sing this next song that you, you know, if you're carrying that burden this, this morning, that you just, it's just been really weighing you down to just be able to hand it over to him and, and unload on him and let him, his strong and loving arms carry that burden for you. Um, because I'll tell you what, he wants to give us rest, doesn't he? He doesn't want us to be burdened down with our, our worries and our fears um, and the things that concern us. Let's sing. So I will cast my cares on You 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. Lord, we know that you are faithful, God. We know that you are a loving creator, Lord, and our almighty Father. And Lord, we worship you this morning, Lord. We, we can pray with confidence, Lord, because we know that you hear us all the time. And we know that you have um, our best interest in mind, Lord, as long as it's according to your will and your plan, Father. And sometimes we can't see it, but we know, Lord, that what happens in the plans that you have laid out are better and higher than the plans that we've made for ourselves. And so we thank you for that, Lord. This morning, God, continue to speak to us and help us to grow in you, Father, and to grow closer to you and grow deeper with you, Lord. We worship you this morning with our song, Lord, with our hearts and with our ears. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, my name is Dennis. Good to see you today. Uh, thanks for braving the transitioning weather to come on out and be uh, with your church family this morning as we celebrate the, the last Sunday of 2013 together. Uh, today we're going to be doing a little transition in terms of our series, moving away from the series in which we've been talking about our desires and we're going to talk about something that, uh, that I'd like to be able to see us do more of as we move into the new year. I don't know where you are on resolutions and all that sort of thing, the promises you make in terms of changes you'd like to see that take place in your life. Uh, for me, I've not really been looking so much as pers- at personal resolutions, but looking at this, this coming year, 2014, it's just some really uh, amazing things transition with our church as we get a chance to, to move into that new property and all those sorts of things. Um, I've been trying to think through what are some of the elements that we'd like to emphasize or focus on change a little bit. And one of them comes down to something that has really impacted me uh, this past fall. I've been part of a, a small group. And that group is uh, it's called Transformation of the Heart, talking about the ways in which we take the, the stuff that has happened in our life, uh, some of the brokenness that's happened in our life, and, and see the way in which God has been in that to really bring about something uh, that can be truly amazing in us. And a, and a piece of that has been people having the opportunity to share their stories, to go in some depth in terms of uh, what life was like for them uh, throughout, the, throughout their childhood and on into their life, and hearing pieces of, of their brokenness and the way that God has used that very powerfully. Um, as I've had the chance to hear those stories, here's what's happened for me. Uh, it's caused me, actually, to hear some of the things people have gone through, people have experienced, and even, even today, it's caused me to make some decisions differently than I would have probably if I had not been part of that group. I think there's, there's tremendous power when we get to hear the story of another person. Now, we can take the Bible and read a verse and talk about the verse, and that's certainly one way to convey truth. But there's something about a person conveying the story of their life that takes those Bible verses and it, and it puts flesh and blood with them. You're able to see them actually come to life. And so one of the things I'm hopeful that we can do as we transition into the new year is spend a little bit more time sharing the stories that God has given us. Now, don't worry, we're not going to make you stand in line and everybody come up and, and take time on a platform. But, but, you know, maybe once a month by way of video or something else, hearing how God has taken the brokenness in your life and turned it into something really beautiful, a way in which he's able to be honored through what happened in your life. So to get that started today, what I wanted to do is spend some time looking at some well-told stories. And I want to share with you uh, 
three friends today. You may know them, you may not. The identity is really irrelevant. But to be able to hear the stories of people, where they are today, and where they were, and the difference that Jesus made along the way is is truly compelling. So we'll look at these stories, and then as we come into next week, we're going to spend some time breaking them down, analyzing them, what makes for a great story, and how can we make our story, the story God has given us, speak in a compelling way to others that they would want Jesus as well. So the site from which we uh, got these stories is called I Am Second. You may be familiar with it. It's a series of of people just telling the story of what God has done in their life. A lot of them are celebrities. Uh, but to be able to see someone who has, who has lived a life, a lot of times all we see is the surface. We see the good stuff, and we don't always see the brokenness that has brought them uh, to the place that they are today. So we're going to just sit back for a little bit and hear some stories, hear the pieces of them. And as you do, as you do I want you to do two things. One, I just want you to watch this from, from your own standpoint. How do these stories impact you. What's the difference they make for you? But then also watching the way the story is told and how could God use uh, the brokenness in your own life in order to be able to convey a great story to someone else. We're going to begin. We all go six feet deep in the ground. I think now they're digging them about four and a half feet to save money. But we all end up in a casket. And people wipe their eyes. Because we're gone. It's called fact. you saw where I grew up, the time period would have been in the 1950s, but if you saw it, you would have thought it was 1850. Log house, milk cow, plow horse, no bathtub, no commode, like Coca-Cola's little, none, none of that, no. I never heard anyone say we were poor. Not once. No one ever said, man, we are really up against it here. I wonder why somebody doesn't bail us out. (laughs) No. I ran up on Miss Cave and she was 14. There's an old saying in the South, if you marry them when they're about 15 or 16, They'll pick your ducks. If you wait till they get to be 20, they'll pick your pocket. So Miss Kay and I married early. Bill started school and we were so poor. So in love, but so poor. Baby on the way. Actually, Alan was born, I was 17 years old, and Phil was 18 years old. So we were basically two kids with a kid. But you have to grow up, and you do. That's what you do. Now, when I got to college, I was on my way to being 
a bone to be chewed, as they say. I started seeing the change in Phil, and this really came when he started spending a lot of time with the football team. Parties in college, you know. It was the 60s. Y'all remember the 60s, don't you? What I saw was Phil, who had never drank before, started drinking. And what happened with me was it was scary to me. Jason was born. I was so thrilled about another boy. Phil was happier than ever. Unfortunately, the drinking got worse. He would be mad and just be in and out like a flash. And I knew then, but I didn't want to believe it, was running around on me. Probably was smoking dope, other things, pills he took, things like that. It was just all new to me, the whole thing. I owned a beer joint when some guy came in with a Bible and he wanted to introduce me to Jesus. I ran him away. I said, get out of here. I'd take another drink. Then we have our new baby, Willie Jess. So there I was, a barmaid who doesn't drink and had three little boys. I've been fighting for this marriage for a long time, and it's not working. But what went on next was horrible. It was like the nightmare of my life. I got in a big bar room brawl. The laws got after me. I went to the woods, of course, and um, hid out. Phil came to me and said, I probably won't surface for two or three months. Do the best you can with what's left here. And he was gone. He became more and more mean and mean-spirited. And what I would tell my boys all the time is, that's not your daddy. That's the devil in your daddy. I would say the low point is when I ran Miss Kay and the kids off. You're all alone, no hope, miserable. That's when I began to serious contemplate, is there a way out of all this? So I came to Miss Kay, and she said, you know the guy that came up there to the beer joint that time and wanted to talk with you? I said, yeah. And you ran him off? I said, yeah. Why don't you sit down with him and, and just see what he has to say? So I sat down with this guy. He said, Phil, what do you think the gospel is? And I said, I don't know, gospel music on the radio or something like that. He said, you don't even know what it is. I said, Yes, I did. I didn't even know what the gospel of Jesus was. So when he went through Jesus coming down in flesh through a little virgin girl, Mary, dying on a cross, being buried and raised from the dead, I'm like, how in the world did I ever miss that? I had missed it. 
I was blown away when I heard that Jesus died for me, was buried and raised from the dead. Something so, it is simple but profound that happened back there almost 2,000 years ago. I had never heard it. When we came back home, I think there was a note that said they had gone to the church building. So we headed in there, and when we got into the auditorium, I just stopped because there he was up in the baptistry with a man. And the boys all stopped, and they were on each side of me. And I remember just looking at them, and he was, I heard Phil say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to follow him from this day forward. And I looked down at each one of the boys. Tears were rolling down their eyes. Even three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old Willie Jess, big tears were coming down. And the next thing I knew, he was baptized. And I come up, and the boys started hollering and singing, jumping all over the place. And they said, my daddy, my daddy saved, my daddy saved, my daddy saved. They were so happy. And it was the... It was the complete family then. I said, I'm fixing to hang another gear, and I'm turning from my sinful past, and I am fixing to make a valiant attempt to be good. I said, I've never tried it before. I told the guy when he studied with me, he said, just love God and love your neighbor and try to be good. I'm like, I've never tried that before. He said, can you try? I said, I can try. See, you got rednecks, then you have river rats. So I'm reading over in Romans chapter 12, be good to your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, do not return evil for evil. The river rats tend to be far better thieves then you're just local rednecks. You be good to them and don't return evil for evil. I was fishing for a living. It's my livelihood. I'm working my tail off. They're hungry. Feed them. These river rats would would steal my fish. I'd caught several of them before then. Usually I'd just come up, roar out there, come up with my shotgun and say, the next person who moves dies. They're stealing my fish here, Lord. Feed it. And you want me to do what? Do not return evil for evil. Well, I have to see if that will work, but it makes no earthly sense, that's for sure. So one day I heard a motor slow down. These guys pull over to my to my float and I'm watching them through the bushes so I said I'm going to be good to them but I'm carrying my gun just in case they're not good to me and I'm going to do what the Lord said and we'll be good to them so I roar up on them and they're getting my net almost up in their boat and they look up and they see this guy coming they be me wide open I said what were you boys doing with that net and they said oh is that what that was I said yeah that'd be a hook net it belongs to me I said here's the good news I'm going to raise the net and whatever's in there I'm going to give them to you and when I said that they looked at each other and they said they left me looking back 
And all of a sudden, up and down the river, they quit stealing my fish. I just gave them what they were trying to steal. I took that to mean God was right all along. The first year in sales, I had turned to God. First year sales, duck commander, 8,000 bucks. I said, Miss Kay, we are rolling. She said, we are going to starve to death. I said, no, we're not going to starve. We'll be all right. (laughs) This is Alan, Jason, Willie, and Jeff. They all run the company and their wives. So one of them told me the other day, he said, Dad, you remember when you started out with that $8,000 worth of duck calls? I said, yep. They said, this year we're going to sell close to a million duck calls. It was either dog luck, but I am giving the credit to God Almighty in heaven for the duck call sales, the fish that were in the nets way back for my life. I'm giving the credit to the Almighty. And we shall see at the end how it turns out. I feel pretty good about it. You gotta have air pressure. You get a lot of pressure behind your tongue. Like a zoo? Uh, not so much of a zoo. Ready? Dad always told us, uh, you know, a man should be able to provide for his family. And that includes food and everything else because uh, he always told us at one point there was no such thing as a grocery store. Totally got picked on a ton by my brothers. You know, we'd go out. We all played basketball, which is funny because my dad played football. And uh, so we'd be out. We'd play horse or something. And if I won, they would, you know, give me a swirly or give me one of those armpit, sweaty armpit uh, I don't know how you say that. <laughs> my dad actually, um, as he was getting the duck call business started, he uh, was a commercial fisherman. So, wasn't a lot of money, uh, but we ate real good. I would go out as a kid and, and run the motor for my dad and um, as he picked up these big hoop nets. And uh, I would ride with my mom to the fish market and uh, sell fish. And that's kind of how we made a living. Here's the thing, my, my parents took in so many, like, transient people they'd see on the side of the road. They're like, y'all want something to eat? They're like, yeah, we're hungry. They'd pick them up, bring them down the river, feed them, let them stay a couple days, give them a little money. The thing was, my parents didn't have a lot of money at the time, but my dad just wanted to, to share Jesus with people and, um, you know, get them to heaven. So we didn't matter what color your skin was, how bad your past is, um, they were just going to help people out. Later in life, uh, when I got up to about 18, 
I met a couple guys when I was right toward the end of my senior year, and uh, you know they were doing stuff a little bit different. And I just thought, you know, maybe I should just you know hang out with these guys some and just kind of experience what the world has to offer. And uh, it got pretty ugly there. Uh, lots of drug use, alcohol. I pretty much did anything that was put in front of me. I remember smoking a joint that was dipped in formaldehyde. They called it a wet daddy. Taking pills. To be honest with you, I don't know what all pills I took. I remember waking up. I had one leg in my truck door, and it was on a gravel road, and I was all skin up, my arms, um, and I drove somewhere that night, and to this day, I don't know what I did that night, and uh, I hope I didn't run over somebody. I, I don't know. I knew at that point I was I was really off the tracks. But the funny thing is, I didn't stop. I got up the next day. Where's the drugs? Where's the alcohol? Let's just keep going. I was hiding that from my parents and it was just the battle of trying to was just nothing to look forward to. So empty, no decency whatsoever. One night, got drunk, went to the movies, and uh, my brother Willie uh, left a note in my truck, and he said, I know what you've been up to. We need to talk. I show up down at Dad's house at 8 in the morning. All my brother's trucks are there, uh, and I'm thinking, what are they all doing here? And... Uh, go in the house and they're just all sitting around the couch looking at me. It was Jason, Alan, Phil, and Willie were in the living room. I couldn't even get in the living room. I couldn't make myself even go in there. My heart just starts beating out of my chest and my dad said, son, are you ready to change? He said, I just want you to know that we've come to a decision as a family, and it's going to be either you are going to join us, following God, or you're going to go on your own, and you can just, you know, good luck to you in this world, but you'll just be on your own. So that's your two choices. I just fell down on my knees and started crying. I said, what took y'all so long? And he said, Dad, I don't deserve to come back. I've been horrible. Let me tell you some more. And Phil said, no, son, you've told me enough. You know, I've seen my dad cry maybe three times, and that was one of them. And uh, to see my dad that upset, and it was tears of joy. I want you to know that God loves you and we love you, but you just can't live like that. And he said, I know. I want to come back home. My brothers, they were all crying, and we, at one point, we just got in the middle of the room and just all got down on our knees and just cried and just prayed to God, just thank you for getting me out of this because I... 
I'm done living the way I've been living. And I remember Dad saying, my prodigal son has returned, and, and uh, it was just one of the best days of my life. And uh, so he said, I'm going to put you on house arrest. You cannot leave this house for three months, and you got to duck hunt every single day. I said, all right, Dad, I think I can do that. Yeah, I'm smiling a little, of course, because you can't see it. <laughs> you have a great, whispering smile. <laughs> I always tell them a little, a little bit rough around the edges, but I always remember this. The man appointed by God to pave the way for the Savior of the world. John the who? They all said, John the Baptist. I said, he looked rougher than I do. <laughs> Trust me. years ago I was um it started I just started to get like real cynical and like looking at everything as in like as in like that's wrong like they're looking at that wrong because I thought I had it all figured out I guess I just got really caught up in thinking that I was better than everyone else because of who my family was like look who I look who I have to you know give me the answers and and all that I mean, really, 12 million people watch us every year. I mean, every week, actually. I guess that's that's part of the pressure that's that's on me. And I started getting really cynical and like looking down at other people. And before I know it, no one no one was there, <laughs> nobody. It eventually led to uh, like thoughts of suicide, stuff like that. It's going to seem kind of stupid. But everybody was having this huge party and watching movies, you know, and stuff like that after church. And I knew that they were going. And so I went to church, and I I, some, I halfway hoped that they were going to invite me to do that, you know, because I just wanted to so bad. I'd finally hit rock bottom, and I wanted to be a part of it again. But they weren't going to, you know, invite me to anything like that. That's pretty hard. <laughs> Because I went home and my brother left the house to go to the party and I was just sitting there and I was like, wow. Like, it, it just seemed so small, but to me, like, that was just really big. Like, that no one wanted anything to do with, with a cynical person like me. I think, to me, that's just what sticks out of my mind is I was like, what am I doing? Like, like why would I act like that? And... And I went on to just like keep on doing it, you know, it just made me more mad and more mad. I told my youth minister that I was, I pretty much told him that I wanted to kill myself. Uh, I'd finally hit rock bottom and I wrote a letter and I was going to do it. I really was. And so then my parents found out about it. And, uh, my mom was devastated. Of course, she's crying and all this kind of stuff. She's thinking where she went wrong and when it wasn't her at all. And uh, I think that right after that, that night, that sit down with my dad, it really, that's what turned it around. Because my dad told me, he said, 
That is the most selfish thing that you can do. I'm sorry. Time. But he told me, he said, that's the most selfish thing that you can do is, is leave this world because you can't take it. And uh, I, I really believe that that's true. And um, I mean, I just thought about like, I'm about to leave all these people that I could have a really huge impact with because I can't take it because I feel bad and because I have a cynical attitude. And that was just, I mean, that really just hit me hard, and that's what turned me around. That statement right there is what turned me around. It was a relief whenever I came out of that. I think that, just knowing that that I was back on track with Jesus and knowing that I, I was, he was okay with, with, um, with me coming back to him, and it doesn't matter what I did, it doesn't matter what I've been through, it doesn't matter what I'm going to do, and he's going to be there and he's going to love me just the same because he died for me. I was finally free of of doubts, of having an attitude, of being cynical. And I remember being so relieved. And Jesus brings that relief. I think that that's who taught me that. It's my, um, the men in my life and my family. I think I might grow one out, you know, just to say I did it. <laughs> but uh, right now, I can't. We can't grow beards at school because it's against the rules. But um, my dad, my dad's always said, he said, if you ever get in trouble with a beard up at school, I'm coming straight up there. <laughs> We're just some good old country folks from Louisiana, and it's just weird to. Have people stop you at the grocery store and want to take a picture. But you know, the way I look at it, you know, God had a plan for us to to do what we do, to say what we say, so um, other people can come to know Jesus. When the, when the show first started, they said, we want a lot of fighting and we want y'all to get mad at each other and like bickering and and try to get us to cuss and do all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, our family was like, that's that's not who we are. Everywhere I go, everything I do, this is what I talk about. They'll tell me to give a speech on something else, but guess what? It always comes back to this. We all go six feet deep in the ground. The grave is a problem. So is sin. Jesus came down in flesh and saw both of them. So for me, my household, I just think that uh, we would all be better off if we loved God and loved each other. At the end of the day, you will be happy, happy, happy. My name is Phil Robertson. My name is Miss Kay. My name is Jeff Robertson. My name is Reed Robertson. And I'm second. 
Let's see in the South, we don't say second, we say second. Like it's a T on it. Second. You know what I'm saying? So we'll spend some time the next couple of weeks talking about what makes a story compelling. But let's hit this part this morning. This story was only, these stories were only compelling to you if you were willing to listen. If you were willing to open your heart and hear what the person had to say. Whether you knew them or not, were you willing to open up and listen to them? And as I listened, uh, there, were, there, were, there was something that hit me from each story. And what we'd find is that there's something that hit you very differently. For me... Um, when I'm listening to Phil, I hear him explaining that verse from Romans chapter 12 by way of his experience. I've never heard that verse that way before. I've preached that verse, but I've never heard that verse that way before. And to hear it conveyed in such a compelling way that here's a person that was basically debating, is Scripture true or not? Can I actually put this thing to the test and see what happens? And to see the way that worked for him, uh, that had great power. Listening to Jap, a person who needed an intervention. And I don't know if you've been in that spot, that you've been the person that has to do the intervening. But one of the big debates when you need to intervene is, when should we do this? You know, when should we finally have the conversation? How bad does it have to get before we jump in? And to hear him say those words, what took you so long? I think every time that I'm asked to intervene now, I'm going to hear those words, what took you so long? Granted, not everybody's going to be receptive in that moment, but to have someone say, I'm ready, what took you so long? And then when you're listening to Reed talking about wanting to end his life, for me, the most powerful that's the part of that story is when he stopped talking, when he just had that stretch of silence. And you could feel him feeling the weight of that decision he was about to make and the way it was going to impact all the people in his life. Sometimes the best way we tell our story is to be quiet for a moment, to be quiet and just let it sink in. So for all of us, we have moments in our life, lives, points that, um, that we experience brokenness. It may not be to these extremes. In fact, sometimes I think the problem we have with our story is that we don't think we were bad enough to have a great story. Uh, sin is sin. Brokenness is brokenness. We don't, we don't have to have been the worst of the worst to have been bad off. But to be willing to take that point of brokenness, acknowledge it for what it is, and then be transparent with it. That's tough, but that's powerful. You see, the fact is a lot of people, when they walk into a church, when they walk into a place like this, what they do is look around and they, they look and they see a big room full of perfect people, people who have never had a problem, people who have never had an issue, just people that, that love Jesus and smile all day. And the fact is, every one of us know, we have all experienced a degree of brokenness. We don't wear it on our sleeve all the time, but we have all experienced a degree of brokenness. And it's when we're willing to be vulnerable with our brokenness that we have the chance to speak into someone else's life. I'm reminded of that woman at the well. Jesus is sitting there talking to her about her life. And, and he finally, she goes back and talks to her friends. And what does she say to her friends? Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Christ? Everything I've ever done. 
Could he be the Christ? The dark moments, the bad times, could he be the Christ? You see, it's when we're willing to share those, those moments of brokenness with people that they have actually have an opportunity to have an encounter with our Savior. Because perfect people don't need a Savior, right? But broken people sure do. We all need a Savior. So I'm reminded that even as we're about to take communion, communion is centered around a story of, of brokenness. What, what does the Bible say? On the night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. That betrayal, of course, was a betrayal on the part of Judas. But that betrayal extends even beyond Judas. It extends beyond him to, to Peter, who denied the Lord three times. Even, even though ultimately Jesus' plan was that Peter would play a foundational role in the founding of the church. Three times he said, I never knew him. Every disciple but one ran away. It would have been easy for God to just smudge out that part of the story. To not have that part of the story where all the disciples but one run away. Where one denies. Where one betrays. It would have seemed so much better to say, we can't share the brokenness of the disciples. But the brokenness that they had is part of the power of their story. And how God's power was ultimately able to enter into their brokenness and bring about a great change. So, that's where we're going. We'll talk about ways in which we can share our stories in a compelling way. So that other people will want to know who Jesus is as well. And bring his power into their life. We're going to take communion now. So as we do, let's pray first. Our Father in heaven, I'm grateful to you that you give us this opportunity to share our story. You've given us a story. Every person here has a point of brokenness at which you entered in and you brought about a change. And now we have that decision. Will we be willing to be vulnerable enough to share our dark moments? Not just the times that, that great things happen, but our tough moments. Those moments where we, where we doubted your existence, where we doubted whether you would show up. Realizing that when we're willing to be vulnerable with our brokenness, it is in those moments that you truly allow your power to pour through us to bring someone else into a relationship with you. We thank you for this bread and this cup which we're about to receive. Bread and cup which symbolize an ultimate sense of brokenness and yet the wholeness as well that we can have in Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen.
Cause your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. my heart and taken me over, taken me over. And all I want is to be with you forever, with you forever. So pull me a little closer and take I want to know your heart, I want to know your heart, so pull me a little closer, and take me a little deeper, I want to know your heart, I want to know your heart, cause your love is so much sweeter, than anything I've tasted, I want to know your heart, I want to know is taken back to last week when we came down here into the front and took a candle and placed it in in a mound of sand. That candle representing the strongest desire we have at this moment and to be able to look at that light and say, God, I want you more. I want you more than even I want the answer to my prayer. 
And this song reinforces that, God, that as we move into a new year, I'm I'm very hopeful that a year from now we would find ourselves saying we have more of God than we did a year ago. We know God better than we did a year ago. We're closer to God than we were a year ago. Draw us closer to yourself. Help us every day to be able to make that commitment. I want you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Our servers will come now and receive the offering. While they do, let me share a couple things with you. The folder you received on the front of it today, it tells you about what you're going to be able to get involved in in January. The, the, the start of the group season begins, winter semester of groups. The way we're doing it this time is instead of having all the groups come out all at once, right at the beginning, uh, we're introducing some of the early start groups. You see, these are some of them that are going to be starting uh, pretty early in January. In fact, the first two involve physical activity. They involve basketball. They involve boot camp. Uh, some opportunities to get your body moving and at the same time to connect with some other believers. So uh, we hope you'll take advantage of those opportunities. There's also a, a one-day retreat we're talking about doing a lot like the ladies did where it was just a, an on-campus on type of thing, but a day for the guys to be able to get together and talk about some of the stuff that goes on in, in guys world. So uh, you can go ahead and uh, get registered for those. Those are up on the website. Begin that registration process, but know there's more to come. The other thing I wanted you to see, though, is on the inside of the folder, down toward the bottom of the uh, left-hand side, we always give you a, a giving report on where we are, you know, how things are going with the regular giving. And one of the things we included as well is uh, where we are in the progress with the 11-week challenge. So if you've looked at that number uh, today, you notice that uh, as of today, we're up to $229,533 and don't miss it, 42 cents. So um, I'm telling you what, there's nobody, nobody in our church, nobody outside of our churches we've talked, uh, they're just, everybody is completely blown away with just the tremendous generosity you've shown through this, your willingness to listen to God and, and get, get involved. And I'll tell you what, there's part of me that hates to see 2013 end. Some great things happened for us and for our church this past year. But if it doesn't end, we don't get to move. So I'm very much looking forward to 14 and getting started in a new place in another season another chapter in the life of our church. So really glad you were here today. I have a few things for you as you leave. One, this is one of those weeks we get to stay set up. So don't move your chair. Just leave it where it is. Don't move anything. It all gets to stay in that spot. And we get to come in next week and worship right here the way we are. As I was walking in, I noticed my phone said that there's, a, there's an advisory of ice later today. So as you're driving home, just be aware of that. And I also have a New Year's quote to give you something to live with as you go into the new year. Uh, this, this quote is, I lost it. This quote is by Abraham Lincoln says, whatever Miley Cyrus did in 2013, do the opposite. All right? Some good advice for you. Let's stand and sing.
Enjoyable Sunday and a great new year, and we'll see you back here next week.